0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. I want to start off today by saying thank you for the positive comments and the general feedback on the podcast and the guests that I bring to you every week. It's very much appreciated. For 2022, we will continue to bring you the diversity of talent that we have up until now. But I'm also going to devote every fourth podcast to answering questions that you send in. So how that will work is if you have a question or topic that you want addressed, then DM me on Instagram at business, and I'll choose one or two every month that I think will appeal to the widest audience and devote an episode to it. So with that said, on with today's show. My guest today is someone who I've had the pleasure of knowing for a long time as we worked together for a number of years in the 80s. His name is Stephen Moody, and he's well known to hairdressers everywhere as one of the industry's great educators. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Stephen Moody. Thank you, Anthony Whittaker. It is so exciting,
1: number one, to see you, to hear you, and to do this podcast with you. Um, Great to be here and great to have all these wonderful listeners
0: across the US and across the globe. Yep, yeah, well, it's fantastic. I'm really been looking forward to having the opportunity to having a chat here. It's been uh, it's been too long. So, look, um, I'm going to break with tradition and I'm actually going to introduce you and you can clean it up at the end if I've made a real mess of it. OK, uh, but we've got so much to to talk about here and uh so i want to cut to the chase but um you come from a family of hairdressers uh i know your mum uh was a a very well-known hairdresser in the uk um and your brother who i haven't actually met and, and in fact i didn't even realize that it was your brother Um, I just thought you happened to share the same surname and I heard him being interviewed one day and I thought, wow, this guy's really good. So, uh, you know, your mum's a hairdresser, your brother's a hairdresser, uh, you're a hairdresser and you and I started uh, at Sassoon in London. And I believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong in a minute, that you started out as a barber um, at about the same time that I started at Sassoon in 1980. And uh, and then our careers sort of ran in tangent because we were both at the uh, Sassoon Schools and Academy in London. You ended up being school principal um, in Sassoon, London, at the same time that I ended up being a creative director. Then you went to Los Angeles with Sassoon, You ran the academy and the educational side of the Sassoon business. And then you left Sassoon and you worked for Weller as a global artist. I think, I don't know what the exact title was. And now here we are in 2022. You've gone out on your own as a freelance educator. Um, And you're very much focused now on the creative side of the industry. And so you and I pretty much switched roles from where we started as I focus totally now on the business side of things for the last 20 years, and you focus on the creative side. So um, I know it was brief, and I know that's a short summary of all the things you've achieved, but does that sort of sound about right there, Steve? That's pretty much bang on, Anthony. 10 out of 10. Good. Okay. Well, Let's start off with a question. I haven't prepped you with any of these questions. You've got no idea where I'm coming from. And I thought this would be a good sort of completely left-of-field question, and it's this. Do you remember a time in your life where you had to make a decision? I don't know what it was, okay, but you had to make a decision. And when you look back at it, you realize that you made a truly life-defining decision, and you go, wow. So the question is, what was that decision, uh, and was it the right one? That's a great question, and, and, and obviously all of us throughout life
1: make those decisions ongoing. And I, I think to answer your question, it will be very, very early on in my career. Um, I was raised in a hair salon. My parents are hairdressers, as you pointed out. My brother's a hairdresser. And um, I came to this, this kind of crossroads, Anthony in my life in my career in my outlook and i thought is it going to be the north of england where i was born and raised and comfortable had a brand new car i had a home had lots of friends i had security or was it going to be something else and that something else ended up being videl Sassim, and it ended up being london and, 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 you've you've pretty much touched all the the key touchstones there, really, with your introduction. But that was kind of a a real kind of turning point for me. And um, it was very scary. It really was quite intimidating. And um, I left the north of England with this really heavy regional accent that nobody could understand. And I went to the biggest hairdressing city on the face of the planet. And I walked into Sassoon, and everybody that worked at Sassoon had amazing hair, amazing makeup. Their clothes were just so freaking and expensive and so good-looking, and the way they carried themselves was just off the charts. Now, I'm not even touching on how they colored hair and how they cut hair. I mean, that was just otherworldly. Mm. So I was insanely intimidated, and I thought, oh, my God, have I made the right decision? And more than once, I did contemplate getting on the train or bus and going back and thinking, I made the wrong decision. Mm. But I stuck it out. I stuck it out because I knew in my heart of hearts when I walked away from, from Yorkshire, from the north of England, from the rural area that I was in, I knew I was doing the right thing but all I needed to do
0: was stick with it Mm. and that's why it is good good Takes a lot of courage doesn't it we we all have those defining moments and often it is courage yeah
1: And, and, and to people that are listening in on this Anthony you know it's okay to question those decisions you know it's okay to question yourself but sometimes you know just stand back and, and look at it from a distance and, and sometimes that path that you go down, that alternate path, sometimes it takes time.
0: Mm, exactly. Yeah, and you can change your mind, and that's as equally another Should decision.
1: Absolutely. It's a decision
0: to change. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you said you, you literally grew up in a salon, and as we touched on, you know, mother, brother. Um, have you ever thought of opening a salon? I mean, it's inevitable you, know you would have I, thought of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I thought, I think if I was going to go down that path, that path would have been in my family's business. Yeah. And because I was literally, I, I was raised in the salon. My mom, you know, she couldn't really afford daycare as, as you see it today. You know, so I was kind of passed from client's lap to client's lap. You know, my grandparents, they all helped out. The neighbors helped out. Everybody helped out because she mm. was you know, building a brand new business. And there she was with me, you know, looking after me as well. And um, that was the obvious thing for me to do. And all my friends assumed that, that that's the angle I would have gone down. But I think I was 13, Anthony, and she took me to Salon International. And I remember watching Anthony Muscola on stage. I remember going to this amazing hair event in London called The Alternative Hair Show. And my jaw just hit my chest, watching and seeing all the creativity and all the possibilities that were going on with hair that was so far removed from this 13-year-old kid's imagination. And I thought to myself, somehow, some way, I want to be part of this, somehow, some way, this journey that my family's been on with Vidal, the man at this point, and then eventually Vidal to assume the academy and then investing in education. I thought to myself, what I want to have as a client moving forward is Joe, hairdresser, Sam, the salon owner, Mary, the stylist. I want to have them as my customer as opposed to. Mrs. Smith, and as opposed to being in a salon, which I admire people doing that. I, I mean, obviously, that's, that's the clientele. And that's what 99.9% of people in our business make a living from. Mm. But what really fries my onions after 43 years is a hairdresser and a salon owner.
0: Okay. So one of the things that struck me when I was thinking about what we're going to talk about is your career starts when I first met you as a barber at Sassoon. And when I look back at a lot of the people I've interviewed over the years, so whether it's Trevor Sorby, Tim Hartley, Eugene Solomon, some of the very best hairdressers I know all started out as barbers. Now, what I wanted to ask you about how do you feel about that? Has it given you any particular advantages coming from that background or any disadvantages? Because I know you didn't necessarily do it for long, but, you know, that was where I first met you. That was where you were based It was, was doing men's hair in the Sassoon barbershop. And very quickly you transitioned out of that. So, so talk to us about that. It's it's a good point, Anthony. And not only, I didn't do it
1: through choice. I I had a situation where I, I went for an interview and they said, hey, look, there's no vacancies at the moment in the ladies' salons, but there is a vacancy in the men's Vidal barber shop." And I thought to myself, I don't really want to do men's hair. I think men's hair is boring. And I looked down on doing men's hair. And then I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, this is an opportunity. In hindsight, looking back on it, and obviously hindsight's 2020 vision, it was the most amazing opportunity. Because up until that point in my career, I'd been cutting nice haircuts, but looking making them look fantastic with a blow dry or with curling irons or mm. some hairspray. And there I went into a situation where I made that look the way it was with a comb and a pair of scissors. And that made my craft of cutting hair, the experience and understanding of different hair textures, different hairlines, different face shapes, so much stronger. Because let's face it, a guy doesn't necessarily look in every shop window and rearrange his hair as he walks down the high street.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: His, His hair has to pretty much stand up on its own. And that typically is from a pair of scissors or... Nowadays, a pair of clippers, for example. And also what was interesting too, Anthony, and I know there's a lot of younger um, industry members that are listening to your podcast now. When we say a men's salon and when we say a barber shop, it was 100% scissors and comb. So when we went to shorter lengths and graduated tighter hairlines, it was with scissors over comb. It wasn't with clippers. And I think that gave me a massive advantage, too, because the craft of of sculpting hair with scissor over comb puts you in such a great situation of understanding that the art of cutting hair, sometimes someone who starts their career doing men's hair with clippers, Sometimes it becomes a little bit automated and they don't always, always have that appreciation. And the funny thing is, as you well know, Anthony, there's a lot of people um, out there at the moment, a lot of barbers that are going in the other direction. You know, they're going to men's hair that's layered, men's hair that's a little bit looser, mm-hmm. still strong shapes, still strong men's hair. And um, again, if, if you're listening and you're interested in, in, in that direction of men's hair, That's something to really look at because, obviously, tighter Scorem type Rotterdam looks. um, You know they've been around for a while, and if you look at what Bob's Rob's doing in in Rotterdam at at the Scorem um, barber shop, he's starting to do things that are, are looser and more layered, and a little bit more crafty with his fingers rather than crafty with clippers. I think that's really interesting and cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it definitely gives you or gave you a stronger sort of technical approach because it's interesting today. Absolutely. with, with a lot of, you know, salon owners that I work with. They'll often say to me that they can't find young people that can cut hair well today because of the fact that there's been so much long hair over the last 20 years. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just a, it's just a reality. And, And as a result, you get a lot of hairdressers that are great at Dressing here, they're far better maybe than I were 20 years ago, but you know, when I was starting yeah. out my career 40 years ago, um, yeah. they're far better at dressing and finishing, they're, they're far better at coloring and etc. But when it comes to that technical mastery with a pair of scissors and comb and cutting shape into them, uh, they simply haven't had that training because there simply isn't that much of that about at the moment. So, um, yeah, so. I know that, you know, you you went to uh, Los Angeles and carried on out there with Sassoon, and, and, and I think you said before we started recording that you were with Sassoon in total for just over 30 years, um, and then you have been with Weller for the last 10 or 11 years, and now you've gone out on your own. What, what I wanted to ask you about the, the um, transition that you've made into that sort of corporate side of things is what have you learnt In the corporate world, that's giving you a better understanding of how to really help salons today. Because like you said at the beginning, you were sat on your mum's lap or being passed from client to client in the salon. So you know what a salon business is like at every level. You know what I mean? Like growing up in a family business that's not necessarily, you know, making loads of money. And so what I'm asking you about is what have you learned now as someone who has seen salons from, you know, one side of the world to the other, from big and small, and worked for big multinational companies, what have you learned from the corporate side of things that gives you a better understanding of how they can really help salons today? I don't, I don't think so much it's something that I've learned. It's something that, that's been
1: been confirmed, and, and that is you know, whether it's a small salon in, in in the north of England, like my parents' salon, or it is a huge corporation that has thousands of salons, um, whether it's in South Africa or whether it's in, in, in Australia or it's in California. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it's about the people that's in that business. And the, the one thing that I think, Corporations often struggle with is really grasping who is the hairdresser. And we, as hairdressers and, and salon owners who've been hairdressers, ex, you know, yourself, myself, we're not necessarily academically smart. We didn't necessarily graduate from Harvard. We didn't necessarily tuck under our belts a marketing degree, but we are insanely smart, insanely intelligent in a different way. We're people smart. And at the end of the day in the beauty industry, whether you're doing nails or you're doing hair color or you're doing extensions or whatever, the talent is with connecting with those people, communicating with those people. And um, that's something that you can't learn, Anthony, in Harvard. You can't learn that in a business degree. And I think in every large corporation, there's room for Anthony's, there's room for Stevens, because ultimately for them to be successful, they have to make that connection. And that salon owner needs that connection, you know, because at the end of the day, he's in the people business. His stylist is in the people business. His apprentices are in the people business. And that's the thing that, to answer your question, that, that's the thing that really drove it on to me is it doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter the scale of what it is. If it's someone who's in a, a booth rental scenario, it's someone who's in a, a salon suite scenario, we're people people. And that is the ultimate qualification, and that's something that sets us apart from other Factors, mm. other industries.
0: Yeah, yeah. When uh, we worked together in the 80s, you were very much on a management track. Why did you, and I was very much on the creative side, so you could you could really reverse this question back to me. I changed from the direction I was going into the business side of things. You seemed to change from the management side to the creative side. What What was the catalyst behind that for you? So what, what was the catalyst of me going from managing
1: people, managing businesses, managing p and opening academies, to the creative side, to the education side? I think when I left Sassoon, I'd been in that box for probably 20-some years. Mm. I was with Sassoon 31-plus years, but 20-some of it had been in opening businesses in Shanghai, in Toronto, in San Francisco, in Miami. And obviously, to be successful at that, it takes you away from the hairdresser. It mm. takes you away from where the rubber meets the road. It takes you away from teaching. It takes you away from creativity, which is what brought me to this and where I'm sitting today in the first place. Mm. When I walked into Weller, what I realized was Weller was a very, very well oiled machine full of people who were in the mid 20s, who just graduated from university, who were incredibly book smart. Where they were lacking, and this is no criticism, don't get me wrong, but where they were missing was Stephen Moody, who had a connection or has a connection to that salon owner, to that stylist, can speak to someone who is a brand new apprentice or someone who's in cosmetology school, right the way through to someone who runs a corporation and has a hairdressing background. And then secondly, despite all of this, that craft that you mentioned earlier, Anthony, that started with me in barbering, it never left me. And that's it really, really flourished and came out. And I realized there was just no point in playing corporate sword fencing because that's not what I do. I don't do it very well. It's not my forte. So I really looked at the corporation. I looked at the organization. And more importantly, I think the organization looked at me. And I had an amazing, amazing boss when I first joined. Her name was Michelle Mason. And she was the head of Weller Education. But her background, and this is really interesting, Michelle's background was HR. It was human resources. And to this day, this woman, to me, is the ultimate person who could put the right jockey on the right horse. And I think any successful organization that has that person Mm. that can really look at a kid who's up and coming and look at them and think, well, they're never going to be this, but they're going to be amazing at that. Let's Mm. really get behind them. Let's really focus on building that person to be the best that they can be, rather than driving a square peg into a round hole. And the opposite is true. You know, looking at someone who's been around for 20 years, 25 years, and they're stale and they're fed up and they're to 5 in and they just can't wait to get home. Looking at that person and thinking, how can we reignite that person's passion and what they do so that we tailor-make them? Basically, the only way I can say it, Anthony, is get the right jockey. On the right horse. Yeah, no, it's there's lots good, of horses in our business. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's a good analogy. It's a very, it's a very it's, good analogy. There's,
1: there's lots of horses running
0: this race. Yeah,
1: they're not all the same. They're not all the same color. They don't run all at the same pace. Yeah. Someone gave me a great analogy the other day. He talked about football, and for people that that um, are not from the USA, I'm I'm talking American football now. You know, a successful Super Bowl winning team has a coach has a medical team, it has cheerleaders, it has a quarterback, it has a, a defensive line, and, 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 and. None of those people can switch over very well. They focus on one particular thing, and they do it incredibly well. And that is a well-oiled machine that wins the Super Bowl. But mm. they all support each other. They all help each other. They all recognize that someone is better at this than they are. And that's fine because they're better at something else. Mm. Yeah, good. And that's what I try to do in my life. And, and there's lots of things I can't do very well. And I've got to the point where I recognize that and I'm fine with it. Yeah. I can do hairdressers really well.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, there, there's an expression you touched on before. You didn't touch on the expression, but you made me think of it. And it's said, it's not how smart you are, but it's how you are smart. And I think that that really sums up so many hairdressers that then maybe aren't academically smart in terms of, you know, the degree hanging on the wall, but they're very smart in other ways. They're people smart. They're street smart. People smart. uh, There's plenty of people out there who got all the, you know, qualifications in the world, but they can't, you know, they don't have a lot of emotional intelligence. And hairdressers, generally speaking, have, you know, a lot of good emotional intelligence, which takes them a long way. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was that over the years, you know, you, you know you've you been like me in that you've been able to see lots of great salons. You've been able to meet some incredible hairdressers and see some great businesses. What, what I wanted to ask you about was that is there any salons that you've seen anywhere in the world that have really blown you away? Uh, and, and if there are, and I'm not just talking about the design or the decor, like what is it? that made them so special uh it's a that's a really difficult question because I, I i think
1: you know like yourself you know i've traveled and I've, I've seen lots of cities i've seen lots of countries i've seen lots of sounds and some sounds are incredibly i went to one in i think it was in finland that was um focused 100 percent on the environment mm-hmm. before it was trendy to be green And I think they only had like four stylists or something, but they were just so incredible with regards to things like air filters and recycling the bottles and water filters and, 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 and. I mean, they colored people's hair, but where they got the color from, I've got no idea because this was long, long before, you know, 2022. And I looked at that and I thought that, you know, yeah, there's amazing organizations and sounds like Sassoon Tony and Guy and you know, Hair on Broadway and whatever. But I thought this sounds got four people. And they're really focusing on this and doing it incredibly well. You could even argue, it kind of led the way in many ways mm. with that that whole that whole movement. Um, I think it will be really unfair to call names out, Anthony, because then obviously it looks like you're favouring one over the other sure but um, I just have immense immense respect for anybody who in 2022 opens a salon and employs people because the odds are stacked against Mm. their success but people are doing it every day Anthony in different countries throughout the world and I, I just I just I admire them so much. I'm working at the moment with a salon, and I won't say who it is, in Arizona, a husband and wife team. And they are just so passionate about the staff and about what they're doing with their business. And um, I just look at these people and my heart goes out to them because they're climbing up a slippery slope. You know everything is stacked against them in 2022, from you know finding great staff, keeping great staff, educating great staff, COVID, taxes. I mean, you name it, mm. um, it's stacked against them. And and one of my passions, very much like you with your business, is is getting behind people like that and giving them encouragement because. Know there's lots of ways to skin a cat in our business and be successful from you know chair rental to suite operations to corporate life. And um I just I'm just so excited when I see a young couple do that and be successful. And I think if you to ask me what is the success of this couple's business, it's every day they sit down with the staff for 10 minutes. And they tell them what's going on. They tell them what's going on emotionally. They tell them what's going on financially. They tell them about the day. They tell them about yesterday. They tell them about tomorrow. And it's that amazing communication. Because, again, to come back to your your first question, we're in a business of people. It's a people business. And when we can have that face-to-face conversation, we've got a great foundation for a great business.
0: Mm. So when you see businesses like that and, and you walk away from them or you meet people like that, what are the things that, you know, for the person listening to this podcast who struggles to create the culture that they want in their business, what are the key bullet points that you've learned over the years about how to build a successful team culture, how to motivate your team?
1: I think it would have to come down to two things, Anthony. I I think, number one, education, and number two, goal setting. And I think in a funny kind of way, they're attached at the hip. And, um, you know, that, that appears to me to be a common denominator, above and beyond what we said about communication. But really making everybody feel like they've got a voice, making everybody feel like their opinion matters, and the the salon owner or the leader or the manager or whoever is listening to what they've got to say. But constantly, constantly keeping people up to date and giving them goals and directives and and targets. Um, At at Sassoon, when when I moved to to Sassoon Academy in Santa Monica, I walked into a business that was losing $185,000 a year. Within, I think it was four years, the Sassoon Academy in Los Angeles was the number one Sassoon business globally, I believe. It had surpassed New York and Manchester and some really big salons. Hmm. And um, one of the things that I instigated right from the very beginning, and people listening to this podcast, Anthony, who are of a certain age, you'll remember an American TV show called Hill Street Blues,
0: Oh, I remember And it that.
1: was a show about New York cops.
0: Yeah.
1: And every single show started off with the same thing. And that was the sergeant got up at the front of the room with all the cops from that mm. shift, sat down, and he basically went through the day. Watch out for this. Look out for that. and has been murdered. We're looking out for a guy that looks like this. And he briefed everybody. And I thought, amazing that's what I want to do with my business, is just take five minutes out of the day, every day, and just say hello. We had some great wins yesterday. Here's what we got through yesterday. Today, you, you, and you, you're teaching over there, you're doing this, da, 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 we need to watch out for that. We're a bit short in this department today. I needed to help. And it just got everybody together just for five minutes yeah it's a simple use it's simple and it it's a simple anything. thing to do yeah it's just that it's morning a huddle simple thing to, to yeah. do and it's a huddle yeah it's exactly what it is yeah we call it the huddle mm-hmm. yeah and um it's something that really glued everybody together and and not everybody was 100 percent every day and you know that was an opportunity for them to say you know jesus Stephen, i'm not feeling very well today and someone would turn and said i've got your back i'm gonna help you I know you're not well, or whatever. We show our yeah. models over here, or well, we've got this really difficult student who's not understanding blah blah blah. Has anybody got any ideas? So, in many ways, it wasn't necessarily me, the sergeant, who was leading this huddle. It was their opportunity for them to all contribute.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Today, a band strikes up in Liverpool. And they go in the studio, or they might be in the studio, in the bloody bedroom on a computer, and they strike up a sound, they have a certain haircut, a certain look, a certain fashion. And literally a microsecond later, that sound has hit a satellite and it's come down, and it's in the back of beyond. Mm. So those kids in the back of beyond, they're on it right away. And I think trends and movements and fashions and, and things about our business move now at such light speed it's the same it's the same the world over
0: yeah so with your tell us about your new business venture because now you're um after after 30 40 years with only having two jobs one at so and one with Weller. you're now going out on your own so tell us about that what 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 are you going to do that's different to you know what else what other people are offering
1: Well, I'm really
0: excited to take the 40-some years of experience
1: that I've got and continue to help hairdressers with their career path, with their earning potential, with their creativity. Um, and, And I think anybody who is in a similar situation to myself is pretty well placed in the sense that When you think about the last 10 years, there's been a tremendous amount of long hair, tremendous amount of hair in the middle of the back. Um, You know, there's been somewhere, somehow, we told people it it was very fashionable to have grown out roots, um, which transpired a four-week color into a four-month color. Somewhere along the line, we told people it's better if they grow the hair. They look better with longer hair. And a six-week haircut turned into a six-month haircut. Somewhere along the line, we told people um, to go to YouTube because you can see a video on YouTube of how to do beachy waves. And now they can beachy wave their hair better than we can so they don't come back for the hairstyling. Somewhere along the line, we also told people, hey, while you're online, why don't you buy that shampoo and that hairspray and all these professional products that I used to sell you, go ahead and buy them online. So somewhere, somehow, what we've done is financial suicide as an industry in many, many ways. I'm not saying this is everybody, Anthony. And you could translate that into men's hair. You know, we've clipped the sides of the hair, we've clipped the backs of the hair, And guess what? Guys can do that in the bathroom. They don't need us. They can do a decent job themselves. And I know we're in the middle of COVID and it's slightly different now, Mm -hmm. but what I'm interested in with my business, Anthony, is today and tomorrow. And I want to help hairdressers have confidence, have the consultation, have... The creativity and the technique to be able to get that person back in the chair every six weeks, for example. Let me give you an example. My daughter spent four years at um, London's um, London College of the Arts. She studied um, fashion and clothing design, and she was about halfway through a, a, a four-year degree. And she she came home for the summer, and I said, "Hey, you know, what did one hundred and twenty thousand dollars buy me?" You know, what, 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 have, what have you learned? She said, Well, you know, fashion goes around in circles. I said, Right. Okay. I said, Give me an example. She said, Well, a hemline, a hemline, season by season, it goes up and up and up. And then eventually it can't go up anymore for obvious reasons. So then it turns around and it starts to go back down again. Then it gets to the ankles. And it can't get any longer; otherwise, she'd fall over it. So it starts to come back up again. So all the time she's saying this, Anthony, I'm thinking hair, <laughs> and I'm thinking the last ten years, hair can't get any longer. Yeah, good enough. It can't get any longer. Yeah, it can't. And you know, one of the challenges I think that that you know salon owners have of of hiring people. He said, I think a lot of young people look at our craft and they look at it and to a lot of young people, it's maybe not exciting. You and I entered something in the 80s that was on fire, Mm. absolutely on fire, whether you were a colorist or a cutter or whatever you were. It was just insanely fun to do. And very few people wanted the same haircut as the previous customer. They Mm. wanted something different. Today, there's a slightly different culture where people do want to look like each other. So with my daughter's analogy in mind, where trends go around in a circle, the opposite to long and straight and flat and center parting and grown-out roots has got to be hair shoulder length and above it's got to be hair color to the roots it's got to be two three colors in the hair it's got to be texture dare i say the word perms you know which to a lot of young hairdressers is like brand new it's just this incredible thing and i want to help those people with that journey because i know how to do that number Mm. one yeah number two more importantly I know how to get inside a 19-year-old kid's head because I've done it all my career Mm. to help them do that. There's a phenomena that's going on that I've experienced the last more than 10 years, 15 years. And every once in a while as an educator, Anthony, I have a snow shovel moment where I just get hit up the side of the head with a snow shovel. And about... (sighs) Probably about two years ago, I was in New York and I was doing a four-day class in the Weller studio and I go around the room, it's the first morning, you know, hello, welcome, what's your name, where are you from, how long have you been doing here? Give me one word that best describes what you want to leave here with in four days. Good question. So I go around the room and there's some great words, Anthony. Confidence, consultation, creativity, most of them began with C. Great words. And I get around to this one person at the end. And and this woman's probably in in a mid to late 30s, really well put together, tattooed to death, pierced, amazing hair, really electric clothing on it. You can smell money on this woman. You can smell it the way she's put together. So she said I can't do it, Stephen. She said I need to tell you my story. I said go for it. She said at the moment I own the biz- the building that my business is in. She said I employ 12 people. I've got an amazing clientele. I earn lots of money. Almost all of my clients have hair in the middle of the back. If my client comes in and says she wants a haircut to a mouth Or she wants it cut to her jaw. I tell her she's got a fat face. Or I tell her she'll look like a soccer mom. Or I tell her it won't suit her. Or I tell her it's not on trend and to keep her hair long. I said, why do you say that? She said, I'm scared. Mm. And a snow shovel hit me up the side of the head, Anthony. And I thought, how many hairdressers are talking customers out of money because a haircut that's the middle of the back with six, nine-month color service on the head is not as financially successful as a six-week haircut and four-week color.
0: Yes. It's money, Anthony. Steve, I get it's people... It's money. I get salon owners often saying to me that they have their staff in tears when they ask them to do a short haircut, they just can't do it because they don't do enough of them. And so I can completely relate to what you're saying. And I can 100% believe that. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Anthony,
1: I know there's a lot of salon owners listening to this.
0: There's there's another element
1: to this as well. I'd like to talk to the salon owners as well. If I was a kid and I was like 18, 19, and I was looking at going into an industry where I was blow drying, hair in the middle of the back, and doing 15 clients a day with a round brush and and ironing that hair, pulling on that hair. By the time I'd be 25, I'd be in a wheelchair. I'd be exhausted. Mm -hmm. I would be physically spent. I'm not in a wheelchair because the majority of hair that I've done is shoulder length and above. So to come back to your question, what am I gonna do? I'm going to do what I do best. I'm going to empower young people to cut hair, shoulder length and above and
0: make some money. Okay. How do you see, okay, so that's, that's fantastic. I agree with you. but I'm, I'm just thinking of the, uh, how technology and everything plays into this as well. So how do you see the education side of the industry changing? Because I know that you've been doing, A lot of online stuff for quite some time, not just because of COVID. So, talk to us about that. Yeah. Well, about
1: five years ago, it became evident to me from going to to salons and and going to different countries that my time when I went to a particular country or particular salon was more valuable than money. Not my time, their time. So. What I quickly moved towards, and this gives you some idea how long ago it was, I started playing around with Skype long before Zoom. And what I did probably five years ago, I started I started supplementing my face-to-face education with Skype calls with South Africa or Canada. So I'd get everybody together on a, on a virtual class. And Introduce myself, get to know them, get to know their objectives, talk about language, and basically supplement the class that I was about to do face to face via um, Skype, and get lots of things out of the way. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to Dallas and I did a two-day class with a group of uh, girls in Dallas. There's eight of them, eight women, and they did um, two two haircuts colors and finishes each per day for two days. So they did four models. And the, the, the reason we were able to do that was I'd done everything. I'd preloaded everything ahead of time. So when COVID came around, obviously, none of us could travel. Hairdressers couldn't travel through education in Los Angeles or New York or London. And I moved 100% to Zoom. And the thing that I've really focused on is not people watching me cut hair. It's me guiding them step by step through a haircut like I'm there. And someone literally holding a phone that's my eyes and ears mm-hmm. and um, taking them through and getting them excited about the aspects of the haircut, the technical aspects, the consultation, etc. cetera. Um, but doing that via Zoom. Over COVID, I think I've done 230 some pay-per-view Classes with these—it's been immensely successful.
0: So so we do them through. Is that one to one? Is that one to one or one One to 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 many? Oh, one to one. I've done it. I've done it one to many, Anthony. Yeah.
1: By far, I'd say ninety percent of what I've done is one to one, and it's literally like I'm standing next to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just started a lady last week who's who signed up for a series of twelve. And of, of these 12 sessions, she'll do 10 models. I've done this with people who've entered their, their looks, the photographs, into Naha, the North American Hairstylist Awards, into the Beauty and Visage Awards, uh, into some South African co- hair competitions. So I've literally done things that have been insanely salon-friendly mm. and super commercial all the way through to immensely... Um, creative as well. So, th- mm. you know, the limits of
0: what you can do with this is not, it's, it's endless. So, that, are they, well, they doing that on, on that mannequin hits or, or? No, do, no that's no, how they're no. doing it on a model. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: God. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, a whole,
0: it's a whole journey of yep. them
1: mapping out and then Pinterest boarding what their objectives are as to where they want to go. Mm. And then really starting off with language, terminology. Understanding. And the key for me, Anthony, at the very beginning of these journeys is removing their fear. Because you know as well as I do, if you've spent a career, 90% of what you've been doing, cutting hair, shoulder length, and above, as you mentioned earlier, graduating hair above the shoulders, for example, terrifies you. Of course it does. So it's removing the fear and it's helping people with the confidence and their understanding of the why. So that's the beginning of that journey. And then it's really then tailor-made into what is it that you're looking to achieve? Um, African-American hair, Asian hair, um, librarian hair, or tattoo artist hair.
0: Yeah. You, know,
1: you name it. You know, <laughs> Where do you want to go with this? And um, I'm just really, really blessed because like you – I've taught at so many different levels. I'm cool with teaching anybody, anywhere, anytime. And um, if you'd have asked me seven years ago about virtual education, I would have poo pooed it. Mm. Totally. Mm. Totally. But I've got completely, completely on board. Yeah, me too. The majority of it is one-to-one. Mm-hmm. I've done classes where there's been 100 people online. And 85 are cooking the husband's dinner
0: mm. or
1: they're watching Netflix at the same time. Yeah, yeah. We've oh, yeah. all been there. Mm. We've all been on that.
0: So what's your biggest strength, Steve?
1: Being able to communicate with a hairdresser. Speaking hairdresser, I think is my biggest strength. Someone said to me the other day, it's my
0: patience. Okay well wow, as a as a, no, as an educator, that's a that's a great strength to have. How do you you know you you've constantly uh, remained relevant, uh, you're constantly reinventing yourself. How do you do that? For the person that's listening to this, who works in the salon, they've been doing it for 20, 30 years, and they feel stuck, what what what's the key to staying relevant and and constantly reinventing who you are in terms of your work? I think if you ask 10
1: people, you're going to get 10 different answers to this one. But for me, Anthony, it's having the confidence and the maturity and the strength to look around your environment and think: how does my strengths play into what's current at the moment, what's needed at the moment, what's viable at the moment? And to be agile enough to hop from one foot to the other while at the same time, and this sounds contradictory, sticking with what you do well. So I don't do Patrick Cameron. I don't do wedding stuff. Mm. Can't do it. I've tried. I just can't do it.
0: I don't color hair, Anthony. Oh, I'm the same. So, I don't yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I don't do the, the balayage stuff. Yeah. There's only two things that I do and I stick with it. And one is sharing with other hairdressers and number two it's cutting hair primarily shoulder length and above Mm. and somehow some way I make that fit with whatever environment I'm in whatever the trends go to what COVID hit us up the side of the head none of us saw that coming Mm. so I had to jiggle and wiggle and do the virtual stuff yeah and um it's been great
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this question as as we're going to start wrapping up here. You know, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in life? Not necessarily hairdressing. And you might have just touched on it then. I think it's to
1: be, and I've got to come back to someone that you know and I know as well. I think it's always in the back of your mind to eat some humble pie every once in a while, and realize God put hair on top of our heads to keep our heads warm. (laughs) It's, It's not freaking rocket science. We're not curing cancer. And just smile and have a great time and go along with it and just draw yourself in and be humble. My mom told me the, the most amazing story about Vidal. And she said she took a class at the, the academy, the, the school in Davis Muse, And she said one day word came in in the middle of the hands-on session that um, Vidal was on his way around from the salon. And he was coming to visit. So obviously all held broke loose. You know, people are spitting and polishing and sweeping the floor. All of a sudden he came in the room and he just went unannounced to the first person getting their head on and said hello my name is Vidal and your name is and he visited with every single person and he got around to my mum and adjacent to my mum there was a jacket that was laid across the back of a chair and he was chatting with my mum and chatting with her model and everything and as he turned away he accidentally knocked this jacket on the floor so you can well imagine like five heads all went down at the same time, trying to pick these jackets up really quick. And he stopped everybody. And he pulled them all away and he bent down and he picked up the jacket and he shook it and he opened the closet, the sliding closet doors. He took out a hanger, he put the jacket on the hanger and he put the jacket and the hanger in the closet, closed it door. And he turned to everybody and he said, if you knock the jacket on the floor, you pick it up. If I knock it on the floor, I'll pick it up. But at the same time, he sent an amazing message that was, that should have
0: been on a hanger in the first place. Mm. Well, Steve, that sounds like the perfect place to start wrapping up here. Um, Whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social channels? So they can contact me on facebook stephen moody
1: s-t-e-p-h-e-n-m-o-o-d-y on instagram hair moody m-o-o-d-y hair moody my email address is hair moody number one at gmail.com
0: okay well listen i will put those links Uh, on our website, growmysellonbusiness.com and in the show notes for today's podcast. If you're listening to this podcast with Stephen Moody and you've enjoyed it, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to Instagram stories, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast app. So to wrap up, Stephen Moody, this has been fantastic just to sit here and uh, and reminisce and and listen to uh, your thoughts on the industry and you know, what's happening with it. Uh, Any final words before we wrap up here? I think my final words would have to be, you know, we're we're only here for
1: a very, very short period of time. We're in an amazing craft, an amazing industry. Um, Enjoy it. Enjoy every minute. Enjoy those customers. Enjoy your colleagues. And we're in a mess at the moment with COVID we're coming out of this really fast and we're going to be back to normal and you guys are doing an amazing amazing job
0: fantastic perfect place to finish thank you very much Stephen moody for this week's episode of the grow my salon business podcast